Look, by no means am I an expert. I'm just someone who's trying to find a way to give a shit. And my way is to be a pest. Do I know what I'm talking about? Maybe. But I do like to share some facts that I find as well as stories about women that are what I like to call part of the solution. And I'm getting some help along the way, which is very groovy. So, welcome to episode 9 of Device Intercourse, Be the Pest. The musicians and artists of Collective 13, as well as the champions of heroines. An evening with Collective 13, artist collaboration for social awareness, discussing women in our culture and female equality, as well as promoting the music and art of the members of Collective 13. As mentioned before, we are on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Google Play, and Pocket Casts. This podcast is being recorded at the same time as we interact with folks on social media, hence the name Device Intercourse. Now, tonight's features, uh, our five stories are going to be about, let's see, Ariana Grande, Miley Cyrus... Megan Markle, Tyra Banks, and Kylie Minogue. Uh, very diverse crowd there, but uh, you'll hear the very interesting facts about these people and why they're being showcased. We're also going to play for you another one of our great calls with Prudence, one of our favorite pests, and the facts and opinions that she is sharing with us, which we so highly value. As always, this is an open call to any and all musicians and artists to become part of Collective 13. We'd love to hear from you. Also, poets, photographers, digital artists, anyone creative, you're all welcome. Send us a message via our Facebook page at Collective 13. As usual, we want to give a shout out to Sonic Parlor for lending us this studio that we're using right now. Sonic Parlor believes that art can be created to compel the observer, listener, to become increasingly socially aware and to engage in charitable acts. This belief is constantly at the core of the artistic process, and that is why all of the music presented on the Sonic Parlor website is available to download at no charge. The works of Sonic Parlor centralize around 13 main characters in which the protagonists or champions of this group are all female, the heroines. The hope is that these stories can inspire attention towards the acceleration and support of women's movements across the globe. Now you know why we came up with the name Collective 13. This is a community of musicians and artists aligned together to collaborate for social awareness. Visit the Sonic Parlor website to view the Funding Heroines page to learn more of their GoFundMe pages for the nonprofit organizations Global Fund for Women and United Nations Women. At the site, you'll also learn of the Sonic Parlor wristband campaign. Basically, if you receive a numbered wristband, you will be prompted to donate to one of the funding pages and then pass on the wristband to someone else. As the instructions state, there's a special hashtag to be used to help track how far these wristbands travel. Ask us to send one of the wristbands to you. Contact us at Facebook uh, at Collective13 or sonicparlor.com. You can go to collective13.com or to c13.1. 
Now, what we also like to do, since this is about Collective 13, we like to recap the songs that you heard during the last podcast. First, we played the Red Tower Dance, Vespa's Waltz from SonicParlor.com. Uh, this song I also like to refer as Waltz for Bass Guitar, because <laughs> as you heard in the song, it's very bass guitar driven. I particularly am proud of how the organ incorporated into the song along with the choir. In the story, this is the chamber music that was played during the inauguration of Raven the Black becoming Vespa the Red to lead the people of the fourth world. Uh, fun fact, my daughter Violet is a huge fan of this character, Vespa the Red, from this storyline. Next, we play To Suspend the Afterlife, again from Sonic Parlor. Uh, as it says on the website, Reason finds the recording of the cleric and learns that he has modified Toasty Code to halt the soul of his daughter. You'll have to hear the whole story to understand that. In the beginning of the song, you will hear the sonic reference to the pool. The concept of the pool is currently being revisited in the prequel album that we are working on right now. Next, we played Her Hero is Falling from Sonic Parlor. As the story goes, drought longs for and readies the enemy for the coming of rain. Uh, the prophecy is again revisited in this song. You'll hear the prophecy of the storyline sprinkled through all different albums and through the songs. Uh, you will notice that this song sounds similar to, this, to the next song that was played, and that song is His Hero is Rising at Sonic Parlor. That is because both songs take place at the same time in the story. In the second song, the guard or watchkeeper does what must be done for Dr. Reason and ends at the same time as Drought. So that's a very interesting play on timing that we did. Two songs that take place at the same time in the storyline in two different locations. Next, we went back to Earth Transmission and played Symbiotic. Last week, we mentioned the few love songs. Again, I say that with quotes in the air that have been created by my bands. I am fond of this one sung by Madeline, which is symbiotic. Uh, we created a repeating vocal effect in the song to be similar to that of a sonar or homing beacon. Next, from Sonic Parlor, we played Fate of the Redhead Girl. Uh, in the beginning of that song, you heard the barking dogs. That is actually a sonic reference to Sabrina's intro during the song Phoenix and Lightning Girl from a previous album, Nerada 13. Next, Violet's favorite song, The Final Word of Vespa the Red from Sonic Parlor. That is actual Morse code you can hear at the beginning of the song. Uh, the code is actually foreshadowing some lyrics later in the album, if you went and figured out the dots and dashes. And finally, of course, we end every episode with Pride of the Holder of Dreams. Now, you know, this podcast is in three sections. Section number one. Five. Five, five. The five stories that we told you about earlier and the five facts, which we'll hear from Prudence. Next after that. The pest. That's right. It's the pest. It's too easy for us to forget. So be the pest. We need to expand the echo chamber. And third. Tonight's collective action. Last week was post a picture on your favorite social network of you giving the peace sign to show that you're a groovy to all folks, especially women. Of course, try to do this with a drink in your hand. Later tonight, we will decide upon this week's collective 
action. So with no more further ado, we're going to get into our first featured story. And the question was, who at the age of 10 co-founded a youth singing group raising over a half a million dollars in 2007 alone for charities? And the answer to that is Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande is an American singer-songwriter and actress. As one of the world's leading contemporary recording artists, she is known for her wide vocal range. At the age of 10, Grande co-founded the South Florida youth singing group Kids Who Care, which performed the charitable fundraising events and raised over a half a million dollars in 2007 alone. She was featured in Seventeen Magazine in a 2013 public campaign to end online bullying called Delete Digital Drama. In September 2014, Grande participated at the charitable Stand Up to Cancer television program, performing her song, My Everything, in memory of her grandfather, who had died of cancer that July. Grande has adopted several rescue dogs as pets, and promoted pet adoption at some of her concerts. In 2016, she launched with MAC Cosmetics a line of lip shades called Ariana Grande's MAC Viva Glam, the profits of which benefit people affected by HIV and AIDS. So that's groovy. In 2015, Grande and Miley Cyrus performed a cover of Crowded House's Don't Dream It's Over as part of Cyrus's Backyard Sessions to benefit her Happy Hippie Foundation, which helps homeless and LGBT youths. Later that year, Grande headlined the Dance on the Pier event, part of the LGBT Pride Week in New York City. In 2016, Grande joined Madonna to raise funds for orphan children in Malawi. In 2016, Grande and Victoria Monet recorded Better Days in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. To aid the victims of the Manchester Arena bombing, Grande organized the One Love Manchester concert, donated a re-release of One Last Time and her live performance of Over the Rainbow at the concert, and released a live album of the concert. The total amount raised was reportedly $23 million. Journalists and celebrities such as Taylor Swift, Rita Ora, and Selena Gomez commented favorably on Grande's empowering 2015 essay posted on Twitter decrying the double standard and misogyny in the focus of the press on female musicians' relationships and sex lives instead of their value as an individual. Grande noted that she has more to talk about concerning her music and accomplishments rather than her romantic relationships. In 2016, e-writer Kendall Fisher called her a feminist hero in an essay examining Grande's feminist statements. The same year, Grande was listed among Time 100's most influential people in the world. So, good facts about Ariana and facts we wanted to share. I'm going to now put the answer online and put up the next question. In the meantime, enjoy this song. Thank you. 
And we're back. The second question of the night, who founded the Happy Hippie Foundation, which works to fight injustice facing vulnerable populations? You just heard a teaser about that in the last story. It's Miley Cyrus. Again, someone that you may have not known about. Miley Ray Hemsworth, uh, born um, Destiny Hope Cyrus, is an American singer, songwriter, and actress. Now, we're going to talk about her Happy Hippie Foundation. Cyrus is the founder of the Happy Hippie Foundation, which works to fight injustice facing homeless youth, LGBTQ youth, and other vulnerable populations. Since 2014, the foundation has served nearly 1,500 homeless youth in Los Angeles, reached more than 25,000 LGBTQ youth and their families with resources about gender, and provided social services to transgender individuals, youth in conflict zones, and people affected by crisis situations. Happy Hippie encourages Cyrus's fans to support causes including gender equality, LGBTQ rights, and mental health through awareness campaigns and fundraising. On June 15, 2015, Cyrus unleashed the campaign Instapride in collaboration with Instagram. The campaign features a series of portraits starring transgender and gender-expansive people, which were posted to her Instagram feed with the hashtags Happy Hippie Presents and InstaPride. It was aimed at encouraging diversity and tolerance by showing these people in a positive light as examples for others who might be struggling to figure themselves out, as well as a reference point for people who don't know personally anyone in that situation. Cyrus was the one behind the camera for the photo shoot the whole time and even interviewed her 14 subjects to share their personal stories along with their portraits. She decided to predominate the color yellow since she believes it is a happy and not sexualized color. She said she wanted to bring attention and celebrate people who wouldn't normally find themselves being the stars of a photo shoot or wouldn't find themselves on the cover of a magazine. Following the loss of their Malibu home from the Woolsey fire, Cyrus and Hemsworth partnered with their community to launch the Malibu Foundation for Relief Efforts following the 2018 California wildfires. Through the Happy Hippie Foundation, Cyrus and Hemsworth donated a half a million dollars to the Malibu Foundation. So there it is. Check out the Happy Hippie Foundation and more about Miley Cyrus and the groovy stuff she does. I'm going to go post the answer online. And the next question, enjoy this song.
All right. Third question. Who at the age of 11 campaigned to have a TV commercial change that she viewed as sexist? Layla already knew this one. Meghan Markle. Markle was born and raised in Los Angeles, California, and has a mixed ethnic heritage. During her studies at Northwestern University, she began playing small roles in American television series and films. From 2011 to 2017, she played Rachel Zane on the American legal drama series Suits. An outspoken feminist, Markle has addressed issues of gender inequality and her lifestyle website, The Tig, featured a column profiling influential women. Hey, that's cool. That's what we're doing here. She represented international charity organizations and received recognition for her fashion and style, releasing a line of clothing in 2016. At age 11, her successful campaign to get Procter & Gamble to change a national television commercial she viewed as sexist was provided by Linda Ellerby on Nick News. Now let's talk about Megan's charity work. Markle was a counselor for international charity, One Young World. At the 2014 summit in Dublin, she spoke on the topics of gender equality and modern-day slavery. Also in 2014, she toured Afghanistan and Spain with the United Service Organizations. In 2016, Markle became a global ambassador for World Vision Canada, traveling to Rwanda for the Clear Water Campaign. In 2016, after a trip to India focused on raising awareness for women's issues, she penned an op-ed for Time magazine concerning stigmatization of women in regard to menstrual health. She has also worked with the United Nations Entity for Gender Equality and the Empowerment of Women as an advocate. The Duchess, who we all know, she is now, is a vocal feminist and intends to use her role as a member of the royal family to continue supporting women's rights and social justice. Again, Meghan Markle, we think she's super groovy. Now you know more about her. I'm going to go post the answer online. Enjoy this song. Legend Weaver 
We're back. Which supermodel is one of four African Americans ranked among the world's most influential by Time Magazine? That was our fourth question. And the answer is Tyra Banks. Tyra Lynn Banks, also known as B-A-N-X, Banks, is an American television personality, producer, businesswoman, actress, author, model, and occasional singer. That's a mouthful. Born in Inglewood, California, she began her career as a model at the age of 15 and was the first woman of African-American descent to be featured on the covers of GQ and the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue, on which she appeared twice. Banks is one of four African-Americans and seven women to have repeatedly been ranked among the world's most influential people by Time magazine. She is also one of only 17 models to be ranked as a legendary supermodel by Models.com. Banks started her own production company, Tai Tai Baby Productions, soon afterward changed to Bankable Productions, which produced The Tyra Banks Show, America's Next Top Model, and the 2008 movie The Click. Now let's talk about her personal life. Banks has spoken out about abusive relationships in her past. In 2015, when asked about her relationship history, she stated, I won't be using a lot of names on the show, but a specific relationship had not just cheating, but emotional abuse. It was really bad, but that made me strong. In 2009, she opened up about her past relationships when she made a guest appearance on The Oprah Winfrey Show, hosting alongside Oprah Winfrey. The episode was dedicated to dating violence in response to the assault of Rihanna by Chris Brown. Now let's talk about Tyra's philanthropy. Banks established the T-Zone program, which aimed at leadership and life skills development. She has also established the Tyra Banks Scholarship, a fund aimed at providing African-American girls the opportunity to attend her alma mater, Immaculate Heart High School. In 2005, T-Zone transformed from a camp into a public charity, the Tyra Banks T-Zone. So, yeah, she's a supermodel, but also she's super groovy doing this wonderful stuff. So that was our fourth question, which now has an answer. I will post the answer online and put up the fifth question. Be right back. Transmission. Do not be alarmed. Device intercourse will resume after this broadcast dissemination. Yeah. 
Last but not least, who has been written as Australia's single most successful entertainer and a world-renowned style idol? My favorite, Kylie Minogue. Kylie Ann Minogue, also known mononymously as Kylie, is an Australian-British singer, songwriter, and actress. Minogue has been recognized with several honorific nicknames, most notably the Princess of Pop. She is recognized as the highest-selling Australian artist of all time by the Australian Recording Industry Association. She has been written as Australia's single most successful entertainer and a world-renowned style idol. In October, one of the reasons why I love her, Minogue performed at both the opening and closing ceremony of the 2000 Sydney Summer Paralympics. Now let's talk about philanthropy of Minogue. Minogue has been involved in humanitarian support in areas including health research and quality of life. Musically, she has helped fundraise on many occasions. In 1989, she participated in recording Do They Know It's Christmas under the name Band-Aid 2 to help raise money. In early 2010, Minogue, along with many other artists, under the name Helping Haiti, recorded a cover version of Everybody Hurts. The single was a fundraiser to help after the 2010 Haiti earthquake. In 2008, Minogue pledged her support for a campaign to raise money for abused children to be donated to the British Charities Childline and the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. According to the source, around $93 million was raised. She spoke out in relation to the cause, saying, quote, Finding the courage to tell someone about being abused is one of the most difficult decisions a child will ever have to make. In 2010 and 2012, she was involved in supporting the AIDS Support Gala, which was held by the American Foundation for AIDS Research, AMFAR. Since Minogue's breast cancer diagnosis in 2005, she has been a sponsor and ambassador for the cause. In April 2014, Minogue had launched a new campaign entitled One Note Against Cancer, which is a charity organization to help cancer research. Again, one of my all-time faves, Kylie Minogue, because I've you know been watching her my whole life. We're both the same age. And, uh, and that's the answer to question number five. I will now go post that online. We'll be back in a couple minutes.
I've posted all five answers to our celebrity questions online, and now it's time for the other half of... Five by five. Again, this week, we had the great fortune of having a call-in from our favorite pest, Prudence, in which she shared with us some very important websites and facts. We were a little bit lighter last week, and we wanted to get more on a serious note this week. And she shared with us about heart disease in women and websites in which you can learn more of that. She spoke about Go Red for Women. Again, more resources for learning about heart disease in women, the number one killer of women. And then she also spoke of the Red Dress Project. Please uh, tune in or, or listen more for that great story. And then later on, some facts about violence against women that that everyone should know. So here's that call now. Hi, Ken. Can you hear me? Yeah. How you doing? Good. How are you? Great. The first time I called, I had the Bluetooth still on. Just trying to connect to the earpiece in the other room. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. How has your week been? It has been wonderful. How has yours been? Oh, just groovy. I really like that picture that you sent when you said that you're so old school with all your handwritten notes. <laughs> yes, this is my life. Yeah, I was thinking that was funny because I type it on the computer, but then I print it out on paper to read it here. <laughs> yeah, I had to have my notes. So, so yeah, I, I actually have to write it. Out, and I prefer actually handwriting things. So, sure, I've been typing so long. I should try to do that again as well. But um, thank you for preparing the uh, the facts that you did. Because last week we were a little bit on a on a lighter note, talking about the celebrities and the and the charities that they endorsed. And uh, and I figured, you know, I think this week we should go back to more. serious note and talk about some of the facts that we like to share on the show. So thank you for that. You're you're welcome. So, and I did find some serious things to, to share. So instead of opinions for you, I actually looked up facts. Oh, well, opinions are always (laughs) welcome, (laughs) but yeah, I, I I jumped ahead and, and there are some really serious facts in there. So that should be good for folks to know if they do not know it already. Yes. Last week, we had talked about Linda Carter, and one of the charities that she had worked with was the Heart Truth. And we had talked about that a little bit with heart attacks being the number one killer for women in the United States. Yes. So I did some research on that. Um, Coming from the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, 
um, it's nhlbi.nih.gov. Um, the statistics on that are one in five women in the United States dies from heart disease. Wow. All right. Nine out of 10 women have at least one risk factor for heart disease. And the most common type of heart disease is coronary um, heart disease, which is clogged arteries. And clogged arteries cause heart attacks, which is the number one killer of women in the United States. Is that the risk factor? That's not actually the risk factors. The risk factors themselves are high blood pressure, Uh high blood cholesterol, an unhealthy lifestyle, being overweight or obese, diabetes or prediabetes, smoking, being physically inactive, having a family history of early heart disease, um, having preeclampsia during pregnancy, an unhealthy diet, and age. And for women, that age is being 55 years or older. Sure. All right. Uh, I've read before that it was about 45, but it becomes a lot more serious at 55. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. According to the National Institute of Heart, Lung, and Blood Disorders, yes. All right. And it's one of those things for women, like, I recommend actually, like, going and checking these things out because I was looking at that list and it was like, okay, I, I have five of those things on that list. And I'm only in my 40s, so. Oh, that's interesting. So you you can recognize five of those items. Now, is that from uh, self-diagnosis or is that from uh, going to the doctor? Um, Actually, from going to the doctor. But, you know, the doctor is how I know, like, high blood cholesterol. That's how I know. Um, But anybody, whether you've been to a doctor or not, if you smoke, if you know, okay, my diet is unhealthy or that being overweight or obese, those are things that you know, or even being physically inactive. These are things that you know that you do, whether or not you've been to a doctor. Things like diabetes, pre-diabetic, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, preeclampsia, those are all things that doctor's diagnosis is are important so that you know whether or not you have those items. How about this high blood cholesterol? Now, is that based off of diet or is that hereditary or both? Um, Having high um, cholesterol can actually be either or. For me, I've had high blood cholesterol since I was young, and it does not matter how healthy I am and how healthy I eat. my cholesterol is always still high and it is hereditary for me. Um, I happened to have done, um, there's a special cholesterol testing called the VAP, VAP. And I've had that done in the past where I know that my blood cholesterol is partially hereditary and partially because of my diet. Now, I appreciate you letting us know that it could be a hereditary now, is any of these risk factors female, just exclusively female gender? Preeclampsia, I mean, since that's during pregnancy, and I would actually have to Google that because I did not look up what that was. Um, 
would be specific to female as far as the other ones, um, whether or not it would be specific to being a female in general or just kind of being a human being. I mean, high blood pressure, cholesterol, unhealthy lifestyle, I would think that that's something that would most likely cross genders. So that's that's the takeaway. It's the number one killer of women in the United States. And um, just look after your lifestyle, look after your diet if you don't want it to be uh, that statistic. Exactly. And you can also go to goredforwomen.org and they have a list of signs and symptoms of both heart attack and stroke specifically for women. It's said there that the signs were different based on gender. Do you know more about that? I remember hearing about the fact that it was different for men and women. And I didn't look into the specifics just because when I was doing my research on specifically this, something else had come up that grabbed my attention and I ran with it. But I do know that that's something that I have heard in the past is that it is different for both men and women. Um, My guess too would be because, I mean, if you look at just the physical and genetic differences that men and women have, it would make sense that the risk factors could be very different. I'm going to put the link online, of course, for goredforwomen.org and the specific link that you sent us. The interesting thing was on the page, it mentioned, yeah, we all know what we see in the movies, the man grabbing the chest, oh, I'm having a heart attack. But on the website, it was saying, you know, there's jaw pain is a sign, Um, sleeping funny or lightheadedness can be a sign. And uh, I think it's going to be a good link to share with the folks to uh, uh, just learn more about it. It, I think it's important, too, because when I think about it for me and, like, even when I go back to, like, my medical history, so just going back to, like, my personal um, experiences here, you know, I've had anxiety and a panic disorder that was diagnosed back when I was still a teenager. And so for a lot of my life, it was like, okay, I would kind of like pawn things off on I'm just having a panic attack so I don't need to go to the the doctor for this I just need to calm down I'm not going to go to the hospital and I know that there is that flip side of people who they end up going in and it's like okay you're just having a panic attack but um, as I've gotten older I ended up my doctor had sent me to a cardiologist and when we went in or when I went in Um, we had found out that I have a microvalve prolapse, which causes anxiety and um, it can cause like panic. So here all of these years, it's like I've just been like, okay, I'm just panicking. I just calmed down. And there was actually a medical reason behind what was probably causing that panic disorder. Wow, that is interesting. So an actual condition of your heart was causing a a panic disorder it, yeah it it causes like those same symptoms of anxiety because of the way so like basically one of my heart valves where it should be really like stiff and um like more sturdy it's like floppy and wavy so the blood from my heart can regurgitate back out into 
my system. And when it happens, it can cause that feeling of anxiety. Oh, I see. So, um, and it did make me curious as to, okay, is that really why, you know, maybe that's why I've had this panic disorder is it could have just been things that were going on with my body. And it was one of those things that, I mean, I never would have thought of, and I had talked to my mom about it and she was like, oh yeah, you had a heart murmur when you were a baby. Well, that's why they looked for this was because when I had gone in, they had heard the murmur. So it was like, okay, so yeah, even those of us who think, okay, I'm fine. Sometimes yeah, it's still important to get things checked out. So don't be afraid to go to the doctor. Exactly. All right. Good to know. So on a heavier note than that, which is heavy as it is, um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the first Friday in February is Go Red, Red for Women, and it's to raise awareness that the fact that heart disease is the number one killer of women. And the symbol for that is a little red dress. So I had been Googling, um, looking for information on this, and I had typed in the Red Dress Project, expecting to find information about Go Red for Women. And what I came across was actually this um, art installation by an artist named Jamie Black in Canada. And it was just, it was very powerful. So that was something that I wanted to share. Sure. Um, So Jamie Black is a Matisse artist out of Canada. Um, I had to Google what that is. She's actually, she is part um, indigenous and then also um, descended from colonial settlers. And this installation that she has done consists of these empty red dresses that she has hung. Um, and she has done it in gallery spaces, but she does a lot of it at outdoor spaces, including on some of the college campuses in Canada. And she has um, invited other people to participate. And she's had people donate these red dresses and hang red dresses on their own as well. And these red dresses, um, they're to bring light to the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women throughout oh, Canada. All right. Um, the dresses symbolize an estimated 1,200 missing and murdered women. And I had watched a little interview with her on YouTube and her hope was to draw attention to the gendered and race racialized um, nature of the violent crimes against these indigenous women and girls. And it actually, it made me think about Sonic Parlor because one of the things that she had talked about um, when I watched this interview with her was the fact that Um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially not everybody wants to be involved in protests. And when you have marches and rallies, um, not everybody can make it. And sometimes there's this, you know, really low turnout. But with this art installation that she's done, um, as soon as people see it, especially the ones that are, you know, in outdoor spaces, 
they're automatically kind of like drawn in because they want to know, okay, why is this red dress hanging there? Yes. What does that mean? What is that for? Um, and she talked about how she had chosen the color red because it was a powerful color in indigenous communities and how it was the color of both life and blood that connects them to one another, mm-hmm. but also between it being a sacred color, it also represented the violence that these women are facing. Would you say that this is also a um, a racism issue, this, this violence towards the indigenous women? It very well could be. Because without that, you know, you've got these women and children who have gone missing. Well, you don't know. I mean, if it's somebody within their community or people from without, you know, outside of the community. But that was one of the things that she had talked about was the fact that there was a racism um, and a prejudice against those indigenous women in, in those parts of the country where she is at. So it is very possible that it could be racism. It could be um, something along the lines of um, it makes me think of like watching like Criminal Minds or CSI where, you know, the women that have the higher risk lifestyles or a homeless woman, they might be more likely to be uh, victims because it's they're op- it's an op- like victim of opportunity because people are less likely to miss them. Oh, I see. So I don't know if if that could be the correlation. And without knowing, I mean, who who's doing it or why? Well, if it's racism or sexism or opportunity, I'm glad that this individual is creating these art installations, just as you inferred, to keep it in the forefront of the public mind and to remind folks about it and maybe try to answer that question and see what change can be made. Yeah. And it's also one of those things where when it's forefront of, you know, the community's minds, then it's easier for the community to not let law enforcement let that go. Yes. You know, you don't want it swept under the rug because you're asking about it and you're thinking about it. You're you're talking about it. And I think that that's important, too. There's many things competing for our attention. More mm-hmm. things to do than time to do it. And how do we put that in order of importance? Sometimes it's impossible to put things in order of importance. Such as humanity. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you letting us know about this. I'll share the link, of course, online. But it's red. Oh, well, actually, there's one D. So it looks like redressproject.org. It might, I'm, you have the link, so I, I wrote yes. down Red Dress Project, but. Yeah, I have the link. I'll, I'll, I'll double check to make sure it's the correct link so we can get that online so folks can uh, check it out. But if you Google it, Red Dress um, Project, it will come up. All right. And it comes up on YouTube as well. Perfect. And that led me to, it, it reminded me of something back from the 1990s. All right. And I don't know if you remember or not hearing about the femicides in Juarez, Mexico. 
No, I, I do not. Uh, so back in 1999, Tori Amos had released the album To Venus and Back, and there was a song on it titled Juarez. And I had, it was probably an article that I had read in an actual magazine or something back at that time that had brought up um, about these murders that had been happening in Mexico. So that's what had brought it to light for me. And it's, again, it's one of those things where it, it was an artist that brought this issue to my own personal attention. Mm -hmm. Um, but there have been since 1993, um, it's been violent deaths of hundreds of women and girls in the city of Juarez, Mexico. Um, since 2010, 913 women were reported murdered. 3,000 women have gone missing since the mid-90s, and in 2017 alone, 86 femicides were reported, which was 34% up from um, 2016. Wow. Um, and I had shared a, it was a uk. This came from the London School of Economics and Political Science. Um, there is, it's the National Citizen Femicide Observatory reports that six women are assassinated every day in Juarez. Most victims, some as young as five years old, five years old are found strangled, mutilated, dismembered, stabbed, and torched in vacant lots, stream beds, sewers, um, dumps, and in the desert. Six per day? Six per day. That's, um, that's unthinkable, but it's yeah. reality. It is. And this has been going on since the 90s, and it's still going on. I mean, in 2017, 86 femicides. So this has been going on since 1993, and it hasn't stopped so when you look at that, you can't just say, okay, that's that's not a serial killer. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't think one person could do all of that. No. Maybe I'm wrong. But, I mean, that's that's a problem. Seems like a, a, a way of life or, or a cultural aspect. I hate to put it so lightly, but um, mm -hmm. it's definitely um, uh, some kind of conditioning in that area. I'll have to look there, up. Oh, go ahead. Oh, the um, the when I was looking at the National um, Citizens Femicide Observatory, when I was looking at that um, website, I mean, it had like there were pictures of women protesting, and so it's not something that the citizens are necessarily taking lightly, okay, but it's an good. issue that still hasn't been solved. I'll have to look on a, a map. My geography in, of Latin America is not so good on where Juarez is in association to uh, other areas of Mexico. Um, it is, it's practically a neighbor. Um, 
think, I mean, granted, when, whether you look at Canada or Mexico, I mean, they're both, it's kind of like one's our front yard and one's our backyard when you look at the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was moving to Texas, when we were planning out our route as far as how we were driving here from California, um, that was one of the things that, like, we had actually looked at and planned our route around to make sure that we weren't driving too close to Juarez. Oh, um, I see. So like uh, where I am, Tijuana is right across the border, but where you are, Juarez is right across the border. Yeah, not so much because of how big Texas is. It's not so much that way for me. If I remember correctly, I want to say it was El Paso. But yeah, there is a part of Texas where it is just right there. Sure. And I did when I was going through and looking at articles and things about this, you know, particular um, incidents or, you know, occurrence, or I I don't even know what to call it because it's so awful and it's been going on for so long. Um, There are actually quite a few um, articles that came up from different Dallas or Texas-related presses. Okay. So I know one of the articles that I had read was actually from, I believe, the Dallas News. But you said you were planning a road trip through there, and you actually knew ahead of time to map around that area. And it was because of that Tori Amos song back from the 90s. When we were planning our route, it was like, wait, how close are we to Juarez? Oh my God. Yeah, we don't want it. Let, let's drive a more northern route when we're going past that area. So she was getting the word out through her own way. Yeah. And I mean, I moved, what, seven, eight years ago? And this was from the 90s. So I mean, that it's still, I remembered that. When I was reading about the red dresses, that automatically came to mind. And then the same, you know, okay, this was an artist using her means of art to get out something that was important. So it might have been different medias, but it was still that knowledge that came through art. Yes, yes, which is good that it's happening. Mm-hmm. I see another link you had here. Does that lead to this 1800 women murdered link on the vpc.org? It does, because when I was looking at all of this and thinking about all of this, it was like, okay, so we've got our front yard and our backyard, so what's actually happening in our own home? Okay. And that that led me to look up what is actually happening here in the United States. So it was a little bit harder um, to find recent numbers, probably partially just because it's still so early in the year. Um, but I went to statistica.com, and for 2018, there were um, 2,309 847 females under the age of 21 years old reported missing. Oh, okay. That's just the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, there were 62,371 females over the age of 21 reported missing in the United States. So now those numbers, that includes kidnappings. It includes people who purposely went missing to escape abuse and also runaways. So out of those numbers, 
some of those those missing people went missing for for reasons. But that's still that's a lot of missing, you know, women and girls. Absolutely. Um, and when you look at the fact that if it's, you know, actually a runaway, um, the idea of a, you know, teenager, young adult running away, I mean, that's never a, that, that just can't be a good sign. Um, almost half of the missing person cases in 2018 were minorities. Hmm. All right. Um, and then I found through, it was www.ozy.com, and it was an article from the Daily Dose that was actually from October of last year. It said in 2016, more than 1,800 women were murdered by men in single victim, single offender incidences submitted to the FBI. 85% of those women were murdered by a man that they knew. So that's just that 1,800 that was just submitted to the FBI. So that doesn't even include anything that wasn't. Sure. Where there's one, there's many, right? Yeah. Um, And there was a little, um, at at the very beginning of that article, there was a little green box and it said, why should you care? And in that box, it said nearly 1000 women are killed each year from intimate partners. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, that's a lot of women. We've shared some websites in the past for uh, women to look for on um, helping uh, get out of relationships that are damaging to them. And uh, But what was interesting on the same websites was uh, resources for folks to look into on how to recognize that in maybe a, a friend's relationship that you're observing. And, and how to get involved mm-hmm. and when to get involved. And it sounds like here in these statistics, that's something that more people should do and maybe not ignore uh, relationships that they see that could appear to be, well, not good. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a frightening number. And then for these women who stay, whether it's, financial reasons, whether they're too afraid to leave for whatever that reason might be. Um, just knowing that, okay, like you could end up that statistic and that's frightening. Yeah. Cause no one wants that. No. And, and even just thinking about it, that's, and, and that's not even counting, you know, the murders that, happen because, you know, like watching those episodes of Criminal Minds or, you know, where it's just that victim of circumstance. That This isn't circumstance. This is somebody that you know. Yeah. You said the intimate relationships. Yeah. All right. This is your, you know, partner, ex, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, that's, that's, it's chilling. Um, CBS News had an article, and it said that female victims of homicide in the United States grew 21% in 2016 compared to the previous year. It was the highest recorded level since 2007, 
in that if you looked at the male homicide rate during that same period of time, that only increased by 6.5%. You said the female victim homicides grew 21%, yet the male victim homicides was only six and a quarter percent? Yeah, six and a half, 6.5. I can't wrap my head around that. We're trying yeah. to be in a day and age where we're uh, conversing more about these topics. We're sharing more about these topics. We're getting it out there in public forums. And yet I hear this number that the violence is not diminishing. In fact, it's it's increasing at a rapid rate. That's not good yeah, to know. I mean, we're looking at something just a couple of years ago. Yeah, you said 2016. Yeah. And that um, article was published in 2018. So that wasn't an old article. That was a new article um, from CBS News. At CBS News, so people can look at it, look it up online. Uh, maybe we could, they can get some more information about the uh, where the regions are, uh, what locales they're in, and other demographics such as that. Uh, speaking about people learning things and doing something... Thanks for calling into the show and sharing your opinions and, and uh, uh, sharing these facts that everyone should know. It's, it's very appreciated. Thank you. Happy Father's Day. Oh, hey, thank you. That should be a ride. I'm going to have a fun time spending it with the kids. <laughs> well, I hope Layla and the kids spoil you. Oh, thank you. I look forward <laughs> to the next time you're on the show. I look forward to it as well. Thanks again. You have a wonderful night, and give my love to Layla. I sure will, of course. <laughs> have a good evening, Ken. You too, Prudence. Bye. Bye-bye. Again, that was another fantastic call with Prudence. We appreciate the, the very important facts and links that you want to share and the opinions you have for us here on the show. It's going to be valuable to, to many folks. I have posted the links online for people to do further research themselves and to uh, get acquainted with the information. I will now play a song for us to take a break and uh, enjoy it. We'll be right back. i 
And we're back for the next section of our podcast. It's too easy for us to forget, so be the pest. We need to break out or extend the echo chamber, or get out of the uh, the choir, you know, instead of preaching to the choir. In the story, the Vespinae are a type of underground community pirate radio street art kind of group. And later on in the story, the Vespinae become the inspiration for the Hornet references in the protests. The story being the concept band of, of Sonic Parlor and these, um, these rock operas, so to speak, concept projects that we're working on. So now this hour every Friday, we want to be kind of that in real life. So this podcast is designed to be the past. We have some folks wearing black on Fridays, such as myself and Prudence and Layla. We also have started wearing twine on Tuesdays, twine Tuesdays, just like the photos at Sonic Parlor. Uh, I wear a little twine ring, subtle, but it works. Or you could wear a twine necklace, you know, especially if it goes with your digs. And we also have our Rise to Become One wristband that's available from Sonic Parlor as something that you can do to visibly show folks that you have this constant reminder. And if they don't know yet and they ask you about the wristband, which people often do, or ask you about the twine or why you're wearing black, you can say, hey, I'm glad you asked. Here's how I feel about certain issues in society today. Please let us know if you have any new ideas to subtly get folks to spark into this conversation. Contact us at our Facebook page at Collective13 or at Collective13.com, SonicParlor.com, C13.1. And again, if you would like to become a musician or an artist of Collective 13, we'd love to hear from you. Or even if you want to just give us your opinions and be part of this dialogue. That would be fantastic. Send us a message at our Facebook page at Collective 13 or the other sites that I just told you about. Let's take another break. Here's another song. We'll be right back.
We hope that you dug that last song that we played during our break. And now it's time for tonight's collective action. Tonight's collective action. Post a picture on your favorite social network of you holding up some cash, such as a $5 bill or a $10 bill, whatever you want, that you plan to donate to a charity. Of course, try to do this with a drink in your hand. If anyone asks why you uploaded this picture, tell them how you feel about social awareness and be the pest. As usual, we also like to post the bonus question online. What is your favorite lyric from a song by a band with a female lead singer? Now, Sabrina wrote in online and she shared this. Like every heart to beat before and every wave to kiss the shore, I'm not the first, I'm not the last, and soon to be your past. But every morning when the light comes creeping in around my eyes, another future falls behind the one I had in mind. That is from Days and Days by Concrete Blonde. Man, I love that band. They are fantastic. Here's the one that I contributed as my favorite lyric. Studies show intelligent girls are more depressed because they know what the world is really like. Don't think for a beat it makes it better when you sit her down and tell her everything's going to be all right. She knows in society she either is a devil or an angel with no in-between. She speaks in third person so she can forget that she's me. Now that's from a song called Ophelia, Emily Autumn. If you've not heard Emily Autumn, do so. Look it up. That album is called Ophelia. Again, go get some lyrics, post it online. I'll look some up. Enjoy this song.
We have now come to the end of our program. If you have any recommendations for women or facts about women to showcase in our 5x5 section, please let us know by leaving a post at our Facebook page, Collective 13, or using the contact area at collective13.com. Again, there is always an open call for musicians and artists to become part of Collective 13. We'd love to hear from you. Again, poets, photographers, digital artists are also welcome. Anyone creative, Anyone with an opinion. Anyone who just wants to get the dialogue going further and further. Questions? Go to Collective13.com or Collective13 on Facebook or hashtag Collective13. We now send you off with the usual song, Pride of the Holder of Dreams.
return. Shall offer dreams to all the falling. 